Can I just say, church, I want to give you a high five. Okay. Um, did you hear that singing? Um, you do realize that in, in a lot of churches, you wouldn't hear that singing. There's a whole lot of quiet in the crowd, and the worship really depends on the worship team up front and a whole lot of amplification. And this church loves to worship, and um, I, that's the way it should be. And it's a credit to you all, and it's a credit that you don't just sit there as a spectator. You're in the worship and you're singing. And I know God is honored by that. And that's also a reflection of a worship leadership that's not about performance, but about leading us all in worship. And that's as it should be. And it's just great sometimes um, to sit and just hear all that worship. Thank you. You blessed me this morning. I know you bless God. Well, it's fall, even though it doesn't look like it anymore outside. I should have had this sermon a couple weeks ago. Um, but it's a time of year, especially as we get later now, and Thanksgiving's coming, and we're starting to think about that. It's a time when we look forward to it. It's a fun season. But if you're like me, sooner or later in the harvest thing and all of that, we try and take a little bit of stock of what we have. And how blessed we are. There's an old, old hymn, count your many blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And I think that's a great thing to do at Thanksgiving time. To not just jump into the food or the football or the pounds or whatever else, but at some point to try and step back and say, wow, look what I have. We spend a lot of our time, don't we, all year looking at what we don't have, what we want, what we're aiming for, what we're working for. But in the process of all that, we can sometimes forget what we have. That's why I think that old hymn was so valuable, a reminder to take stock of all that we have. But sometimes life is more than just what we have, isn't it? This Sunday and next Sunday, before we get to Thanksgiving, I want to take two, just two Sundays and just talk about what we have. Because sometimes we look at what we have and we think that's what's going to make us happy. But I want to tell you a secret. That's not the key. Because a lot of times we'll look at others who have more or what we want to have and we don't have yet, and we think, if we had more, if we have what they have, then we'll be happy. The problem is it doesn't really work that way. You see, I don't think what we're really seeking in life is what we have. I think what we're seeking is what I'd like to call a fulfilling life. And that's not exactly wrapped up in what we have. By a fulfilling life, I, what I'm talking about is a life that works. A life where maybe we're healthy or even if we're not healthy, we have a sense of wholeness. Uh, we have a sense of our life is satisfying, that our relationships, the things we're doing with our life, somehow they're working. We have a sense of purpose, of meaning, of worth. Somehow we know that we're making a difference. Our life has purpose. And sometimes we think it's just if what we have, that's what will do it for us. But 
That's not quite true. Most in our culture would use this picture for a fulfilling life. Some type of pyramid and, and somehow not as many make it to the top, but somehow if we'll just get to the top, that's what will make us fulfilled and, and, and a whole and a complete and a satisfying life. And so we work very hard for that. Whether that's at our work, whether it's in our circle of friends, whether it's in the neighborhood and, and what we have, in all kinds of settings, we can end up trying to climb that pyramid. But before we work too hard at that, will you stop with, a, for me, with me for a second and think about the people we see around us who've made it to the top? And from what I see, I'm not sure they're any happier than we are. In fact, I see a lot of their lives and would say they're really not better off. They have a whole lot more problems. They have a whole lot more emptiness in their life. The news is full every day of one more person at the top of a pyramid, some pyramid, entertainer, sports, politician, business, you name it, whose life is ruined, empty wasted. And I think a lot of times, if you're like me, we all stay in shock and like, well, how could that be? They're at the top. How in the world could that life be ruined? Because if we think about that, won't that make us question ourselves a little bit? Are, is a fulfilling life really about climbing that pyramid? See, I want to ask a question, and that is, are we going in the right direction? Is a meaningful, filled life at the top of that pyramid? Is what we have the key as we take stock at this Thanksgiving season? Jesus has a very different direction for us to offer. And I want to look at that today and think about it for a little bit. It's over in Matthew 20. He talks about the pyramid in here doesn't use that word, but he talks about it. Jesus called them together and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, and really what you need to put in there is the, you know that the unbelievers, those who don't know God, those who don't get what I'm trying to tell you, those people, they're all about lording it over them, lording it over us, climbing the pyramid, getting to the top. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Their whole culture is structured with climbing that pyramid. And then Jesus says, not so with you. Don't do it that way. Don't even head in that direction. Instead, Jesus says, can I give you a new direction? Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever I'm inserting, whoever wants to have a fulfilling life, be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, the greatest servant. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus said, if you want to know how to make life work, a fulfilling life, I want to tell you the secret, and that is head in the other direction. 
In effect, what Jesus said is, let's take that pyramid and let's turn it upside down. And so greatness is now going to be descending, not ascending, descending into servanthood, caring about others. It's not all about me. My life isn't just for me. That's not the secret to fulfillment. That's what got those people to the top of the pyramid whose lives are still empty and shattered. But he said a life that works is a life that descends into serving others. And then one of the things I love about Jesus is that he never calls us to live in any way that he doesn't himself model. He leads us. The sign of a great leader. And he says, let me show you. And then he uses the term son of man. Now we're not most of us Jewish, so we don't pick up on that as much. But that was one of the terms of honor of the Old Testament Messiah. This deliverer, this king of kings who was going to come. This one person who should have the right for everyone to serve him. And he says, but what happened? Well, I have come and I am the Messiah. I am the Son of Man. And what do you see me doing? The one person who could rightfully expect everyone to serve him? You see me setting all of that privilege aside and focusing my life and who I am and what I have in how to serve others. Because true greatness, true fulfillment comes in serving. That's the key to a fulfilling life. Now, I suspect that many of you might be sitting there today and say, well, that doesn't really apply to me. I mean, I'm just an average Joe. Jesus, well, of course, he's Jesus. And maybe, you know, maybe some really super spiritual people, or maybe, maybe you, the, the pastor up front, or the, or the elders, you know, I get that. You guys ought to be doing that. But me? But you know what? I want to challenge that today. I don't think Jesus was just speaking to the pastors and the elders when he said that. I think he meant it. And I think he meant it for everybody who says, I want to follow you. I want you to be my Savior, my Lord. I think he was speaking to all of us and saying that this really does work. It really is a life principle, a perspective on your life and how you use your life. And it is radically different. And, and I love how Jesus recognizes that. Everybody around you, your entire world may be heading in that direction, climbing that pyramid. And Jesus said, I recognize that. But you need to get it and be willing to be different. You need to be willing to swim upstream, fight against that herd, and realize that there is a better way to live, and it is the opposite way. So that means you're going to stand out. That means people are going to think you're crazy. That's, that means even for yourself, you're going to shake your head and say, am I really want to do this? And Jesus says, yeah, you do. Because it works. It's the one way of living that can take your life and whatever you have, however far you are up that pyramid, whatever you have as you count your blessings today, this year, 
you can take that right now and begin to serve like Jesus and find a new and fulfilling and meaningful life. And that's what he calls us to do. Now, how do we do that? Well, I want to look at a verse that Paul offers us in Romans. How do we go about living this different way that Jesus calls us to, this way that he modeled for us? In the beginning of verse 13, he says, Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. More of that climbing the pyramid, living for yourself. It's me first, getting to the top. But rather, Paul says, just like Jesus, opposite direction, offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. Paul says... If we really have been brought from death to life, when we're baptized, we, are, we, are, we die. We're buried under that water. But there's nobody in there. We don't stay there, do we? We are also raised to new life. A new, different life. As Joe said in the communion meditation, the great exchange... I got to trade in my sinful life for the righteousness of Jesus. Oh, I don't earn that. I don't deserve that. You don't deserve that. But that's what we get. We get raised to new life. And what Paul says, if that has happened to us, if we've let that soak in, my gosh, looking at what I've done and how often I've messed up and some of the thoughts and attitudes that I've had, and I get to trade all that in and get the righteousness of Jesus. So when God looks at me, He doesn't see Jim Connor. He sees Jesus, His Son, and treats me accordingly. If that is my possession now, how would we not want to say, God, what can I do for you? What can I give back to you? What in the world can I do just to express my gratitude for the exchange you have made with my life? And Paul says it's only natural that out of that we're going to want to say to God, here I am, how can you use me as an instrument of your righteousness? What a wonderful, amazing phrase that you could be, God wants you to be, an instrument of His righteousness. You, each one of us, right where we live, in the homes we live in, none of them are perfect. With the people we live with, none of them are perfect. Where we work. None of them are perfect. The neighborhood, our circle of friends, our extended family, all of those locations where we live, God wants us to be an instrument of His righteousness. 
Do you see how that's exactly what Jesus was saying? Greatness comes as we learn to serve. How? By saying, God, I'm here. I'm going to work tomorrow morning. How do you want to use me as an instrument of your righteousness? Do you realize how that would change our perspective on going to work? How it would change our perspective of the group getting together in the neighborhood? How we would see people differently if we walked into it saying, how can I serve them? How could God use me today in this meeting Monday morning, in this encounter with this person? In this person who's obviously full of anger or this person who's obviously totally wrapped up in themselves. Or whatever it is, we run into these people and we see them. And to change that perspective and say, God, how would you want to use me in this? In this moment, in this situation. Every part of ourselves. So who are you? What do you have to offer to God? You're a toolbox. I almost brought one of my toolboxes up here. Every one of us is a toolbox, and God said, could I borrow you? I'd like to use you. And what do you bring in your toolbox? It won't look like my toolbox. won't look like the toolbox beside you, but every one of us is a toolbox, and God says, can I use you? Can I open you up, and can I use you as my tool of righteousness? What do you know? What knowledge do you have? What experiences have you had? What resources do you have? What network do you have? Do you work? Oh, you work there? You work at Federal Cartridge? Oh, God says, I've been wanting to do something there. Sorry, that was the one that came to mind. Please put your job in there. And whatever the name of your place is, God says, yeah, I really do want to work there too. You might think there's no way he wants to work there. (laughs) But he does. And he says, can I use you tomorrow? Can I use you when you go in tonight and at home? And I realize sometimes those are painful times. We had that seminar yesterday morning on addiction and talked about families in the pain of dealing with addiction. And it's heartbreaking. And it's not fun. But sometimes God says, I need you there. I need you as my instrument of righteousness. How can I use you? Are you available? Can I use you to serve? You see, our culture says it's all about me. And if you make it all about me, that's how you're going to have a fulfilling life. And that's climbing that pyramid. But Jesus understood, and some of us, we, we know that too. We don't want to hear it. We don't want it to be true, but it is. And that is that the life that is all about me is nothing but a life of emptiness. And that's so upside down, our first reaction, well, that can't be true. I mean, that's obviously I'd be happier if I lived for me. And Jesus said, I I know everybody lives that way. That's how the Gentiles, you know how the Gentiles do it, but not so with you. And Jesus isn't trying to rain on our parade. He's trying to help us find life that works, that is fulfilling. 
And he says, for that kind of life, don't make it all about me. Get your eyes off of me and look at others. Let God use you as that instrument of righteousness wherever you are. Not just on Sunday morning in church or Sunday school or Wednesday night. On Tuesday and Thursday and Saturday. As you get together with your friends, as you go to work, as you live at home. God, use me. Here I am. Jesus says in Matthew 16, you want to hold on to your life, you want to live for me, you're going to lose your life. But if you're willing to let go of your life and not live for yourself, then you're going to find life. That fulfilling life that works. So what's your pyramid look like? Your pyramid going up? Or has it been going down? How have you been living? Is that toolbox just been used by you? Or have you been letting God have your toolbox to use? I want to challenge you. We went from fall to Christmas. Sorry. <laughs> Some of you are saying, I'm not ready for this. I'll just walk in a store. It's here. But here's my challenge for you. I want you to have the best Christmas you've had in a long time. And this is how. Make this the Christmas that's not all about me. Make this the Christmas. I just thought what a perfect season is coming up to put Jesus' principle into practice. Because it is so easy at Christmas to make it all about me. And what I want, and get that word out to everybody who's alive, this is my list, this is what I want, and all the things I want to do, and all that I'm looking forward to, and it's all about me. But make Christmas that upside-down pyramid this year. And start now thinking about what can I do for them. How could God use me in this Christmas season as an instrument of His righteousness? in my home with my family. Think of each one, what can I do for them that would be a blessing to them, that would help them, that would be a gift for them? What about at work? What about in my friends, my extended family, my neighbors? How could God use me to serve them this year? Now certainly that'll be a good thing for them. But what Jesus promises you is you will have your best Christmas you've had in years. Because it's in serving that our life works. It's in serving that greatness comes. So I want to ask you this Christmas season. Will you go into it as Jesus would go into it? Not looking for what you're going to get but for what you can give away. Let's pray. Father, this is, um, it's hard because it's counterintuitive. Our human logic says, well, we need to focus on ourselves and we need to put ourselves towards the top. And it's about what we have. 
But I thank you for Jesus and his life and his example. He had it all, but he used what he had to serve others, even his very life. And we would all agree today he is the greatest human that ever lived by living that way. So help us have the courage to follow his example, to be different. And I pray, even specifically this Christmas season, that you would show us ways we can be your tools of righteousness to serve and bless those around us. And I know you will show us what a rewarding life that gives us. Thank you. In Jesus' name, I pray this. Amen.